Please join me in the prayer of illumination. Let us pray. Gracious God, may your messages and preaching come to us through your Holy Spirit's power so that our faith might not rest in our own ability, but rather by your power and presence. Help us never to depend upon your own might, our own might or power, but always upon your spirit. By your son's name we pray, amen. Our scripture reading today comes from the book of Genesis, chapter 27, verse 19 through 27, and verse 34 through 38. Hear these words. Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Now sit up and eat my game so you may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, How is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? He answered, Because the Lord your God granted me success. Then Isaac said to Jacob, Come near so I may feel you, my son, and know whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob went up to his father Isaac, who felt him and said, the voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. He did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands, so he blessed him. He said, Are you really my son Esau? He answered, I am. Then he said, Bring it to me that I may eat of my son's game and bless you. So he brought it to him and he ate and he brought him the wine and he drank. And then his father Isaac said to him, Come near me and kiss me, my son. So he came near and kissed him, and he smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him and said, Ah, the smell of my son is like the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. Genesis 27, 34 through 38. When Esau heard his father's words, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said, Father, bless me also, Father. But his father said, Your brother came deceitfully, and he has taken away your blessing. Esau said, Is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has supplanted me in these two times. He took away my birthright, and look, and now he has taken away my blessing. Then he said, Have you not reserved a blessing for me? Isaac answered Esau, I have already made you... I have already made him your Lord, and I have given him all your brothers as servants, and with the grain and wine I have sustained him. What can I do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, Have you only one blessing, father? Bless me. Bless me also, father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. The words of God for the people of God. So I, I just want to say... Um, at the outset, um, I, I love um, Myra's um, children's moments, um, but um, I think everybody has a particular thing that is like um, nails on a chalkboard to them, um, and mine is sticky things. <laughs> I feel like I'm creating a circle of trust by telling you this. Um, in fact, my family will, um, will laugh at me because the, they'll see me walking through the house and I'm, I'm headed to the kitchen sink because like, I don't know what it is, but there, there's, okay, you're not laughing anymore. <laughs> and so when she handed out little packets of clay, I just thought to myself, oh gosh. <laughs> not that I was worried about anything. I just was like, I hope nobody touches me with clay hands. Anyways, so now that we have this, we've had this moment together, so. Um, I have to confess, I have to confess that at my house, we play favorites. 
It's really embarrassing uh, how much we are devoted to one and not to the other. We play favorites at our house. Now, if you're worried and you've got CPS on speed dial, hold off. We play favorites with our dogs. And at our house, our dogs are referred to as puppies, even though one's like five years old and the other one's like eight years old. Uh, um, The puppies are interesting. We got Jackson first, if you want to wonder. uh, And they're they're, they're my favorite breed. They're rescues, right? Um, And so we picked up Jackson from the SPCA um, here in town. And Jackson is, think of Toto from the Wizard of Oz. And that's Jackson, okay? Um, uh, Cute, wonderful dog. He really, um, on the outside he's a dog, on the inside he's a cat. Um, Because he'd really just prefer to curl up in your lap and for you never to move again, right? That's it. Um, Now, uh, Jackson was named because we live in Lake Jackson, that's right. Um, And so uh, we play favorites. Uh, Jackson came along first probably about a a year and a half before Austin did. Um, Whereas Jackson is a cute little almost toy-like dog, Austin is hefty. Austin is, uh, he's a medium-sized dog. He's a mix of um, Affenpinscher and Pug and all these wonderful things. We take him to the groomer, and because he has a little bit of Pug in him, uh, right, a little bit of Pug in him, they won't take him uh, for particular services. And I'm like, oh my gosh, Austin would lick you to death. I mean, that's all he would do, right? There's no bite in him. But uh, he is truly a dog's dog. Um, now, you might wonder, who is, um, who is the leader of the pack? Um, I often think that my dogs are a representation of Pinky and the Brain. If you remember that cartoon, right? Um, Pinky and the Brain is uh, two lab rats who are going to take over the world every episode. And the Brain is, you know, uh, is a, has a huge head and is a little tiny dog or tiny uh, rat um, who tells Pinky, who um, is not the smartest of uh, lab rats around, but can do a lot of things that, Pink, uh, that the Brain cannot. I often think that Jackson and, and Austin are like that. Austin's name Named um, Austin because of Stephen F. Austin, that wonderful statue that we drive by uh, every time we come back to Lake Jackson. Now, we play favorites at our house because when we picked up Jackson, Amy sat in the back with Jackson on the seat. And we never knew how much of an important moment this was. We drove maybe 20 minutes, right? Um, but because Amy and Jackson sat together in the back seat with Amy and I, in, or uh, Grace and I in the front seat, um, there was a bond there. And, and yeah, it's kind of this imprinting bond that happens, both for Jackson and for Amy. Now, that's all right and cute when you think about somebody's dog, but it gets really infuri- infuriating when you're calling the dog to come to the crate, and because you're not your wife, the dog doesn't listen to you. Right? And so a year later, we decided that Jackson was way too bored, and so we got Austin, also a rescue. But we got Austin in Houston, and Grace sat in the back seat with uh, Austin as Austin came home. And um, you can imagine, whose dog is Austin's? Grace's, right? It's fascinating, right? They, uh, Amy and Grace love to say, well, well, Peter, you need a dog. <laughs> And I think to the moment, you know, I'm the one that feeds them. I'm the one that lets them out. I'm thinking, I have two dogs. I just don't have the beneficial side of having those two dogs. So along the way, because Austin came second, 
I would humorously refer to Austin as the other puppy. And sometimes, I don't know, I know it's really, some of you, half of you are thinking, oh, he has dogs. And the other half are, are thinking, when is he gonna get to the sermon? <laughs> I understand, right? <clears throat> but um, sometimes we are playful and we will voice uh, what the dogs are thinking. And anytime Austin is in the room uh, getting more attention than Jackson might, we often think that Jackson might say to us, really, why did you bring that other puppy into our house? When will he be leaving? You know that you love me best, right? Um, Playing favorites. I have to confess, we play favorites at our house. Uh, We favorite the dogs one way or another. And in some ways, they've favorited us because of that experience of coming home and who they rode next to as they came home. Our scripture story today is a discussion about family dynamics. We are continuing that uh, sermon series, the second of three weeks, where we're talking about the, the lie of the picture-perfect family. Last week, we talked about how many of us didn't really understand the call of Abraham or Abraham's life. We assumed that he was from a, um, you know, a farming town way out in the middle of nowhere. We assumed that he once heard the call of God, that he got up and went immediately, and we found out that really it took about 15 years to decide he was going to go, and that along the way he was blameless in the sight of the Lord, which is not really true. He lied about uh, whether his wife was his uh, sister or his wife, and he made some other mistakes along the way. Uh, We found out that um, there was even something kind of seedy in his marriage to Sarai, that um, maybe one of the reasons why he kept referring to her as his sister and not his wife is because he was her, she was his half-sister. And so we got this idea that we often curate our experience of of what we think biblical families are like. And we often think um, that the people around us are more, uh, have their stuff together more so than we do. And it becomes a convenient excuse for us to decide that surely God won't use us because we're a big mess. And so let's continue the discussion of Picture Perfect, this idea of the lie of the perfect family. Um, I really think if you want to get into the, um, uh, into the dirt of a really good soap opera kind of biblical family, you got to spend time with Isaac. Um, Isaac uh, inherits the promise from Abraham. Isaac is responsible to have children. And just like his parents, Abraham and Sarah, um, he, uh, he and his wife are uh, barren. Uh, They have to figure out something different. And so they end up um, doing everything possible within that ancient Near Eastern culture uh, to have a child, not necessarily a child of their own, but a child. Jacob eventually has four wives, Leah, Rachel, Bilhah, and Zilpah. From these wives come 12, uh, I'm sorry, I'm talking about Jacob and not Isaac. Let me go back to my notes. Um, And so the story of Isaac having children, um, Rebecca finally gets pregnant, and um, there is a turmoil in her uh, stomach. Now, this isn't the cute um, kicking of uh, a baby. This is two twin kiddos inside her belly, um, and uh, uh, Rebecca describes it as a struggle. And the struggle in Hebrew, that word struggle, uh, means to crush or to pulverize. This was a sibling rivalry like no one had ever seen. In fact, when, um, 
when Rebecca gives birth to the two twin boys, Isaac, uh, uh, Jacob and Esau, um, Esau comes out first, he's the oldest. And it's really strange what the Bible does to Esau. The Bible describes Esau as red and hairy. I'm not so sure I've ever heard those words described uh, of an infant. We often say, oh, adorable and beautiful and sweet and kind, not necessarily red and hairy. Um, when Jacob comes out, uh, Jacob's name is um, kind of means grabby. Um, Esau's name, you want to guess, it means red and hairy. Um, can you see the seed of favoritism already happening? Um, Jacob comes out holding on to the foot or the heel of Esau. So these twins almost were struggling with who was going to be born first. And so out they come. Um, during the pregnancy, Rebecca had prayed to God, asking why the twins inside of her were so uh, were struggling. And God gave her a word of prophecy to talk about how these two sons would be the lineages of two very particular groups of people. That one would be the um, the patriarch over a group of people who would respond to God's grace, listen to God's call, and be a part of the promise. The other group would be those who did not respond to God's grace, would not hear the call and would work against God's purposes for uh, all of their generations. And so she tells um, Isaac about this. Now what's interesting is um, Isaac, uh, Isaac and Rebecca pick favorites. In fact, scripture says it very clearly. This isn't just Peter making it up for the purpose of a sermon. Um, it, it says, um, Isaac loved Esau. Um, well, all right, let's try that again. Um, right. Um, Isaac loves Esau uh, because he liked wild game, but Rebecca loved Jacob. There's this interplay between the two of them all the way into adulthood. Um, in those uh, family structures, the firstborn was given a birthright and an inheritance. And the inheritance had to be the, given through a blessing. And so once they became adults and uh, their father was ready to communicate the blessing, that would happen. Now there is a very tragic event that happens prior to the giving of the blessing. Uh, Jacob is at home, he's cooking stew. Esau comes in from hunting, famished and starved, and demands that Jacob give him some of this yummy smelling stew. And Jacob, always the trickster, um, he, he kind of goads his brother and finally says, I'll give you some of the stew if you'll give me your birthright. And of course, you know, Esau is hungry, impulsive, just came out from the, you know, from hunting, and he says, fine, whatever, and he gets a bowl of stew. But Jacob remembers it. And so as it got closer to the time in which Esau would receive his blessing, uh, Isaac said to, um, to the family, said, Esau, go and hunt, uh, bring back my favorite dish, and I will bless you. Now remember, uh, Esau, um, Isaac loved Esau and Rebecca loved Jacob. So Rebecca goes and talks to Jacob and says, go quickly, grab some of that frozen uh, venison that's in the freezer. This is my paraphrase. Um, pull it out. I'll give you the recipe and you can make your father's favorite food. 
And Jacob says, whoa, wait a minute, really? I mean, like, I'm not him in that, that anyways. And Rebecca says, yeah, and go get the rug off of Esau's bed or, or uh, coverings off of Esau's bed and put them over you because surely your father is unable to see very well, but he will reach out to touch and make sure that he's blessing the right son. And so quickly this goes into place um, and uh, Isaac can smell the good food and he comes in and he says, oh, this is wonderful. And um, he blesses Jacob in disguise. So Jacob steals the blessing and the birthright. Um, our passage that we read today was Esau coming in from the field, finally having caught his own fresh meat, um, having getting, getting ready to cook that meal and realizing very quickly what has happened while he's been out of the house. And you can hear, as uh, Valerie was reading the scripture today, um, how deeply betrayed Esau is. Um, how, you know, these words are really powerful. The, do you not have another blessing reserved for me, dad? Do, do you not have something for me? I'm your favorite. Do you, do you hear this tension? Um, Esau is devastated by this experience. And Jacob and Esau, if they were fighting before the issue of the blessing and the birthright, they continue to war together. And it's a story that tells us how the people of God and the people who were not God's people come into being. That passing of the birthright, that passing of the blessing and the promise. I wonder... Uh, that kind of favoritism can be destructive. Um, current uh, counselors and psychologists and research show that when we treat one child differently from the other child, it uh, breeds the seeds of uh, uh, resentment, uh, anger, regret, and depression. Uh, um, I love uh, anytime I get an opportunity to meet new people, work with new people in terms of pastoring or counseling or coaching, I love to ask, so who was the favorite in your family? And I wonder, just think in your head, who was the favorite in your family? What I love is when I get to meet um, all the siblings. And when you ask all of them away from everyone else, there's a different answer for each one. Right? The, the perception of who's the favorite. Uh, research shows that oftentimes the favorite is, e is either the firstborn or the lastborn, but rarely the ones in the middle. Um, I, I wonder if you have any middle children here this morning. Um, why the first and the last? Well, because the first one gets to have time alone with mom and dad, and the last, the baby, is that last gasp of that time together uh, in that relationship of having children in the home. But those, those middle kids, where are they? I've heard it said I'm the, I'm the father of, uh, of only one. I often think that God gives you the number of children based upon um, his read on your courage and your um, cardio, car, uh, cardio care, your um, ability to run. Um, <laughs> and um, so clearly, you know, uh, God has some thoughts about me. Um, you know, when I think about folk who have um, multiple children, um, you know, when, when that first child comes along and the pacifier falls out of their mouth, um, you pick it up, you might throw it away, it depends, right? Um, you wash it, you boil it, and then it goes at the end of the line of pacifiers just in case it needs to be used again. When you have two children, right, pacifier falls out of the mouth and you pick it up, you maybe do this a little bit and right back into the mouth, right? Because we ain't got time for that, right? And beyond two, you get to three children, I'm told, that when the pacifier falls out of the kid's mouth, um, really the thing that you say is, wait, we have three? 
we, 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 okay, not so funny. Um, so this, some of the favoritism comes because of just learning, right? How many of you were first born and you couldn't do anything because mom and dad had this really particular expectation? You will not date until you are 40. Um, you will not drive until you are 30. You, you know, you know hi, right? And then when the baby comes along, right? Uh, oh my gosh, like I didn't get a car when I got my license or whatever, right? It's very interesting how we treat kids differently because that, Sometimes because of the children that we have and the order that we have them, it requires some favoritism. The, the, uh, the care required of an infant is different than the care required of a teenager. Um, sometimes we find ourselves in circumstances where um, to be truly equal to everyone, right, um, the emotional response that a three-year-old has uh, from doing something wrong and being punished is different than the emotional response of a 15-year-old, though sometimes they're very similar. Um, so you have to kind of parent differently based upon it. Favoritism is challenging and difficult, but the most insidious kind of favoritism is the one that always values one child over the other, always gives perks and benefits and rewards to one child over the other. And it is the kind of favoritism that we see uh, in um, Isaac and Rebecca. I, I wanna say that um, the things that we do today make a difference. They are like uh, stones that we drop into a pond uh, the rings of those waves go out through time and generation. Jacob had four wives, Leah, Rachel, Bilhah, and Zilpah. From these wives came 12 sons who would eventually become the heads of the 12 tribes of Israel. And from the start, um, his, his parents, Isaac and Rebekah, and then even Jacob as he works, uh, as he lives with his four wives, uh, from the start, it was a dysfunctional family full of anger and resentment and jealousy, causing infighting and rivalry between the sons of these four wives. Two of the wives, Leah and Rachel, were sisters and were themselves jealous and resentful of each other. And this carried over to the kids. Next week, we're going to talk about how those waves of consequences play out into the story of Joseph and the amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. I'm sorry, that was the Broadway take of it. Um, Joseph and the coat of many colors. And um, if you're wondering, oh, wow, it's horrible to be favorites, it's even more horrible uh, to sell your brother into slavery to Egypt and then tell your daddy died. Um, so, so we're going to talk a little bit about what is it like now, oftentimes people ask questions about Jacob and how crafty he was, and they sometimes say, wasn't he sinning when he lied to his dad? Wasn't he a sinner? Why does God use sinners? And I want to go back to last week's message where we talk about um, sometimes we make excuses about why God won't use us. The truth is, is that God's promise is divine and that God's um, uh, ability to direct it down the paths of history um, are his and his alone. And so when we think uh, sometimes that uh, by being bad, we can uh, negate our uh, usefulness to God, uh, I want you to look back at Jacob. I want you to remember how much Jacob struggled, how much he, he actually wrestles with God later on in the story. Um, when we think about um, acting out and being different and how that 
that might disqualify us from what God's doing, I want to remind you that God's call and God's purposes for our lives are divine and powerful. And so I wonder a few uh, suggestions, because I don't know, you might be an adult who's uh, recovering from not being the favorite. Um, I often think that my sister is the favorite, and I think that she's also recovering from being the favorite, um, that there is difficulty on both sides. Uh, One way to think about it is to choose responsibility. Uh, Viktor Frankl, uh, who was humiliated, tortured, and dehumanized in Nazi prison camps, made this discovery. The last of all great human freedoms is to choose one's response to any given set of circumstances. Choose your response. Uh, Whether mom and dad are still living and still playing the favorite with somebody else, um, choose responsibility. Uh, Just because difficult things have happened to you in your childhood, just because difficult things might be happening currently uh, in your family, choose responsibility. Uh, Choose to be responsible over what God has given you stewardship of. Make your response not always a reaction to what is done to you, but rather a responsible choice for mature behavior. In addition to this, um, uh, also uh, take the long look. Um, If you're a parent and uh, you've got more than one, um, because I always tell my daughter that she's my favorite daughter. Um, She's the only daughter. Okay, Uh, but if you're a parent of multiple children, uh, take the long look. Um, Think about how a balanced approach to parenting your kids will make a difference in how they interact uh, down the line. Um, Think about how you might create um, a a tribe, um, a team, um, a family, a unit uh, that will outlast you, that will bring the gifts and values that you've instilled in your children down throughout the halls of history to make a difference in the world around you and in their world as well. And lastly, I think it's important to acknowledge God's sovereignty. Um, I remember Rich Mullins saying that um, there was nothing more terrifying than to realize that God was going to use you. You know, when we read scripture stories, it's easy to assume that we are somebody in the crowd or that we are somebody off the page or that we are outside of the action. But the reality is, is that God is using all of us. Uh, Rich Mullins said it's terrifying to think about being used by God because that requires a sacrifice. It requires effort. It requires um, not being in control of all that you can be. So by acknowledging God's sovereignty, we begin to realize that God has a call in our lives, that God has purposes for us, and that God, uh, that we are part of the blessing, part of the promise that God is going to change the world because of what we will do in the name of God. The lie of playing favorites. Sometimes it's cute and fun and we laugh about it, but we have to remember that it had consequences for Jacob and Esau. It'll have consequences for us. And so may we all together love our family, take responsibility, um, acknowledge God's sovereignty, and take the long look down the road. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.